The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. Hey, uh, I wonder if we could, uh, you know, we've already sort of welcomed the guests, but I wonder if all those that are visiting today for Experience Cairn could stand. You can see how many are here. Could you please stand, our guests? We want to give you a big welcome. Thank you. It's a good group. Great. Met with them this morning and told them that we're all praying for them as they make this important decision, and it's a big day for them and a good group, and we're really glad to have you here. Uh, uh, there is a number of things uh, that have uh, transpired in the last few days that I would like to pray about specifically. I'd like to read a portion of Scripture first uh, from Psalm 91, and then, uh, and then I ask that we would... Uh, stand to pray together. Why don't you go ahead and stand, and then I will uh, read this passage of Scripture. Then remain standing as we pray. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Father in heaven, we do come before you now as a humble people to pray for our nation and its leaders and for those who are hurting. Father, from our human perspective, standing in the midst of such acts of senseless violence and the horrific events of this week, we come before you humbly acknowledging that you are a sovereign, loving, and caring God, that your faithfulness is great, that your loving kindness endures forever, that your mercies are new every morning. And yet, Lord, this morning, it is a hard thing to bear such senseless loss, Father, we are mindful that this is an evil and broken and fallen world, desperately in need of the penetration of the gospel, the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, desperately in need of Christians to stand as salt in life, to be those who would call others to the, hope, the only hope that we have in your Son, Jesus. Father, as we look at the events of this week and contemplate the state of our world and our nation, We ask that you would make us, as your servants, a people of prayer. Cause us to pray often for our nation, for our culture. Cause us to pray often for the things that tear at us and do such harm. Cause us to pray often for the need for us to embrace a culture of life that sees the value and dignity of human existence, that sees men and women as made in your image and likeness. Father, we ask that you would give us grace 
to take part in those things which edify and lift up, which are true and good and noble. You would give us the grace to refrain from things that desensitize us to violence and brutality. We ask, Father, that you would grant our nation a spiritual awakening, that we would not look for deliverance from violence and harm apart from the good news of Jesus. Father, we ask that you would enable your church and your servants to be strong and accurate proclaimers of the gospel, that you would give us the grace to live out the truths that we hold so dear before the world with whom we interact. Father, we pray for our nation and we pray for our nation's leaders. We ask that you would grant our leaders at every level and in every branch wisdom beyond themselves, courage to act and not just talk. We ask, Father, that you would grant religious leaders and leaders in the entertainment industry and those who produce images that lead to desensitization to violence and brutality, that you would impress upon all these leaders, political, governmental, cultural, religious, the importance of striving for what is best rather than settling for what is basest. We ask, Father, that you would enable us to look past greed and avarice and strive for that which is good and true and beautiful. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our nation. And Father, today we are mindful to pray also for those who have endured such tragic loss. We pray for the families and loved ones who lost children this week, for the loved ones who lost faculty and staff members in Parkland. We pray for all those who have been touched by this act of violence. We pray that you would give them grace and comfort them as only you can. Father, in the midst of such loss and tragedy and grief for which there is no answer and from which there is no relief, we pray that the words of this psalm might ring out, that the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High abides in the shadow of the Almighty. We pray, Father, that those who experienced such grief and loss would find refuge in you, find you to be their fortress, and place their trust in you. Father, we ask that you would give us grace to be compassionate and to mourn, but also to think and to talk, not just about the issues of the world beyond our walls, but the way in which we think about them and interact with them within the walls of this institution. Give us grace and wisdom and courage to talk and to act, even in our lives here. We thank you for this community, Father, for the grace that you have shown us, for the safety you have allowed us, for the privilege that we have and the freedom that we have to be at a place where we can openly pray and sing and read from your word. We pray that you would cause us to not take these things for granted. We pray that you would keep us from feeling insulated from the world, but rather see our time here as preparation to be your servants in it. Father, these are hard days and hard times, and there are many hard places in which we can serve. We pray that you would use our time together to make us strong in our faith and in our resolve. We pray that you would shape us into instruments that are fit for your grasp. We pray that you would use this hour to do so as well. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning I want to continue the series, The Habit of Virtues, uh, looking at the second virtue uh, on the list this morning, and that is the virtue of temperance. Just by way of reminder, uh, again, uh, the last time I 
was in chapel to talk about the habits of virtue, focusing on the cardinal virtues, those virtues that the Greeks distilled for us, that have been passed down through the ages, that have been part of educating each generation to think about the importance of being a virtuous people, in particular focusing on those cardinal virtues of wisdom, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Those are the virtues that I want to focus on this semester. We can add to those cardinal virtues the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. For the purposes of this semester, I want to focus on those four cardinal virtues. Coming to us from the Greeks, from the word cardis, which means hinge, that on these things all human character and all human society and culture hinges, but also that they are tied to one another, that they hinge upon one another, that one virtue is not possible without the other virtues. But in so talking about the cardinal virtues that have been passed down to us and distilled by the Greek philosophers, I do want to remind us that wisdom, temperance, justice, and fortitude are biblical virtues first and foremost. All truth is God's truth, and those men and philosophers who distilled these virtues into the list of four really did nothing but distill what is eternal truth, that these virtues find their source and substance in Creator God. And that he expects us to live in light of those virtues and to practice them. They are not simply cardinal virtues handed down by Greek philosophers. They are biblical virtues that we are to strive for as biblical Christians. But I also entitled this, The Habits of Virtue. And you remember from last time <clears throat> the importance of that word habit. These are not just actions. These are not just uh, uh, um, uh, quantifiable behaviors that we want to see they're not simply acts that we perform or attitudes that we take on they're qualities they're states of being and they require the kind of habitual practice so that they become normalized in our lives we pointed this out last time if you just think about the principle of habits and how they work good habits are very hard to develop and very easy to give up on bad habits are very easy to develop and very hard to give up on why is that? Well, we know the answer. We're a biblical institution. It's human nature and the results of sin in the fall. We tend towards the things that are not good for us and those things we cling to. And we tend to avert ourselves from the things that are good for us. And once we lay hold to them, it's hard to hang on to them because we're frail and feeble, sinful creatures. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with it. You know, he testified to this, right? The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. It's the human dilemma. And yet God expects us to submit ourselves to His grace in our faith that He is doing a work in us, that it's His will to work and to will according to His good pleasure in and through us. He wants to conform us to the image of His Son. He wants to see us getting stronger in our faith, developing biblical qualities that, that mirror His divine attributes, that, that lead us to good work and sound judgment in this world. He is not content with us to wallow in our sinfulness. He calls us to something greater. And He enables us to do it by His grace and through His Word. He gives us the instruction needed so we're talking about the habits of virtue. We're talking about developing those good habits of virtue where we would become people who are wise and temperate and just and bold. And so we focus on these four just as a way of getting our minds going to exercise our intellectual and spiritual muscles about these qualities because they are biblical virtues and they need to be developed habitually. 
Last time we talked about the virtue of wisdom. It's not just about behaving wisely. It's not even about being intelligent. It's about desiring to be wise and then doing what it takes to acquire wisdom and then exercising wisdom throughout your daily life. That we don't just plod along or drift along, but we actually are intentional. We think about the implications and consequences of our thoughts and decisions, our attitudes and our actions. That we would no longer walk as the Gentiles, but walk as newborn creatures. Not as unwise, but as wise as the Apostle teaches the early church. That's how we're to walk. And the same thing would be true here when we talk about this issue of temperance. Now, if any of you have read on this or you're familiar with this, you'll often see the word moderation interchanged with the word temperance. Sometimes they talk about wisdom and moderation, justice and courage, rather than wisdom, temperance, justice and fortitude. The word moderation is a good one. In my opinion, the word temperance is a better one. That's why I chose it. And here's why. You know this, and, and some versions of the Bible in the passage that uh, Dr. Mellon Ebersol read for us in 1 Corinthians 9 used the word moderation. Actually, the King James used the word temperate in all things. The issue is we use the word moderation, and this is what we think. We tend to start thinking this way. Everything in moderation, we can hear that. My dad used to say that a lot. Everything in moderation, everything in moderation, everything in moderation. <clears throat> I don't know that he was that good at it, but he used to say it a lot. <laughs> and you know people like that. The problem is when we start thinking about moderation, trust me on this, because I think I think this way when I hear the word moderation and I try to apply it to my... I start thinking about the issues of balance, and I start thinking about the issue of proportion. And I start thinking that this is an issue of mathematical calculation. That what I do in moderation is divide things up in appropriate mathematical proportions. But that is not the issue of Christian character as defined in the Bible. It's not about us dividing things up equally, this much prayer and this much singing and this much reading, right? This much love and this much faith and this much hope. It's not about that. And so what ends up happening is we think about moderation in our contemporary minds. We think about mathematical proportion. And that's not enough because these are not quantities. These are qualities. And so we're supposed to act with these qualities. It's to be a reflection of our state of being. Not just that we're moderate people who divide everything up. That we practice for our sport this much and we read our textbooks this much. Whatever it takes, right? We're not dividing up our time in mathematical calculations or proportion. What the Bible is calling us to here and what the Greek philosophers were after with this virtue is the issue of temperance. It's a much stronger word. It means that we are to be tempered. It comes from the same root that we use when we talk about tempering steel. We heat it up and quickly quench it, that it becomes hard and strong. Temperance is not a way for us to mediate the luxuries and excesses of our life. Temperance is the way for us to gain character strength. That we would exercise biblical temperance and in so doing become stronger individuals for it. It's not self-control in the sense of denying yourself something. It's self-discipline in the sense of making yourself stronger at something. It's a completely different orientation. And in that is what we're talking about with a character quality, with a virtue. From that same root word of tempering steel, this virtue of temperance should make us stronger. It's not about taking part in only the right amount of something. C.S. Lewis defines it as this, going to the right length of something and no farther. It's a very different thing. Now think about this, how much wisdom is required to know I'm going to the right length of this and no farther. 
And the Bible talks about this in any number of ways, not just with regard to food and drink, although there are so many examples of that, but everything in our life. Think about all the things of which you partake. Movies, music, games, friendships, relationships. All the things that crowd in, that take part, that take your time, in which you direct energy towards, if you simply approach that as a mathematical proportion, you'll, you'll use a different kind of judgment to aside, decide what portion of that is right and what portion of it is wrong. But to consider the idea of temperance, to go to the right length and no further, to only partake of those things which will make you stronger, it's a completely different orientation and it will require a great deal from you. It's why Paul uses in this example in 1 Corinthians the athlete. Because to be thoughtful and intentional and disciplined about our lives, he picks this picture of the runner and the boxer. He talks about the issue of being temperate in all things, everything in moderation, self-disciplined and self-controlled, going to the right length and no farther, that you might be strengthened in your inner man as a result. And he does this in a context that's very interesting. First of all, he's doing this in the context of his being criticized regarding money and food and drink. The reason that that's happening is because he's dealing with those issues in this context of the Corinthian culture, which was a culture given to excess. There's so much of everything crowding in on these folks that they just partake of everything. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. All of it is here for us. Let's partake of all of it with no limits. It's very hard to be a person of temperance in a culture of excess where desire drives our decisions. If you want something, just take it. If you desire it, go get it. If it feels good to you, then have it. Too much is never enough. You can't get no satisfaction. But for the Christian, it should be different than that. Very different. Not that we deny ourselves the things that God has given us for our good pleasure. In fact, Paul tells his student Timothy, all things have been given to to you for your good pleasure. This is not about legalism. This is not about asceticism and self-denial. This is about intentionality of living. That's what God calls us to, to live intentionally. It's very hard to do in a culture of excess. And you and I live in a world that's very much that way. And yet Paul says right here, this is the struggle. I do not box as one beating at the air or running as one without a view of what the goal is and what the prize is. Rather, as the King James says, anyone who strives for mastery must be temperate in all things. There is no getting there by accident, brothers and sisters. Now here's the dilemma, I think, and this is a recurring theme every time that I think about what it means for us to live the Christian life in the world in which we find ourselves. This is not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about mathematical proportions. It's about you and I taking an honest look at how much we've been adrift in the decisions we make every day about the things we partake of and the way we spend our time. It's about becoming intentional. It's about being honest. You know, this week we hear words to help... um, give us some perspective on what transpired we hear words like obsession you know that that this individual in florida was given to an obsession with violence and guns i guarantee you when he was 12 he didn't set out to have an obsession with violence and guns it happens over time the more you drink of something the more you eat of something the more you want more gluttony and avarice are vicious beasts that need to constantly be fed 
And you and I, without knowing it, partake of glorified images of brutal violence on a regular basis. We laugh at it and shrug it off, but we still do it. We drink from the same cup as the unbelieving world around us when it comes to violence and brutality. We become desensitized to issues of brutality and violence and injustice. We partake of it because it's in the world around us. We drink it in, we eat it, we gulp it down and look for more without little thought or regard for the implications in our own life and in the life of those around us. How much time do you spend listening to things and watching things and playing things that are leading you in a direction away from what is true and good and beautiful? What is the impact that that will have not only on the way you live your life, but the way you will conduct yourself in your relationship with others and the way you will conduct yourself in this world and the way your judgments and sensibilities will be affected? It's not about making rules that say you can't do this. It's about going to the right length of something and no farther. It's about exercising wisdom in your choices. It's about being a wise and temperate man or woman of God. Don't beat the air as a flailing boxer who looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Don't run aimlessly across the countryside without view of where the ribbon and the line is. Anyone who desires mastery will be temperate in all things. And temperance will require wisdom. Wisdom will require honest humility and a fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for grace this day to be men and women of virtue, that we would strive for godly character, that we would desire to be people of the book, that you would keep us from the lies of legalism and self-denial, but rather, Lord, lead us to lives that would enjoy the good things of this place where you have placed us, that will learn to take things to the right length and no farther, that will exercise sound judgment, sober thinking, right-mindedness when it comes to the things we partake of and the things that we spend our time on. Father, we pray that you would Cause us to be mindful even this day of the need to humble ourselves before you in fear and reverence, to desire your wisdom that we might become temperate people, self-controlled, living with purpose, thinking about the implications of what we do, and acting as a reflection of sound judgment. Father, we pray that you would give us this in our personal lives, in our relationships with one another, in our place in this world and in this culture, which desperately needs more and more examples of men and women of virtue, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great rest of the day and a great weekend.